Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. So things got very interesting last night. And ESPN, to their credit, I don't know. Is it to their credit? Am I taking a slap here? I don't know. They sold what happened yesterday as it relates to the Roger Goodell contract as a confrontation between Jerry Jones and Robert Kraft. Don't F dash dash K with me is what Jones reportedly said to Kraft. Congratulations they, on your wedding. <laughs> they they didn't really they didn't really I don't think Jerry was at the wedding. They didn't really focus on capturing why Jerry Jones was upset. The story did, but it really played up the Jones versus Kraft thing. And I get it. Media wants to generate attention. And there's something inherently interesting about a couple of octogenarians dropping F-bombs on each other. Wow. That's Uh, a big word there. What's that? Octave. Say that again. I don't know that word. Octogenarian. That's not, that has nothing to do with anything you may find at the bottom of the ocean. That (laughs) is, Someone who is, although one of these folks may end up there at some point, who knows? I'm Betsy Joe. Um, I, I, uh, yeah. Luca Brazzi, uh, although, with the although, although, although Google, Google Carol Rosenblum, and maybe it's not. Um, but uh, anyone in their 80s, octogenarian. Gotcha. I, know, I did not know that. That's a new one for me right there. So they, that's yeah. good. That's good. And wait, it's these the public two. school system has failed Octo- you yet again. It is octogenarians or billionaires or whatever the hell you want to call them. <laughs> Uh, these two, though, I think where it's awesome is just that, yeah, we know they're – but but these are – I don't know, Mike. You you tell me if I'm wrong. These are still the, the two most powerful owners in the game, right? I mean, these are the guys that I think are kind of the oligarchs of the oligarchs as far as the NFL is concerned. So that's where it's interesting to see Jones and Kratt go at it yeah. against well, each other too. Others would fancy themselves to be equally influential like John Mara, Art Rooney. Sure, but- yeah. But Kraft and Jones are the two that stand out for a very important reason. One won three Super Bowls in four years. Right. The other won six in 18. And I think there's a natural rivalry there. There's a resentment there. There's a jealousy there. Although you have to act like you're above being jealous of anyone when you're a multi-billionaire. But they still, they still size each other up and... Jones is in the Hall of Fame. Kraft isn't. Kraft has six championships under his time with the Patriots. Jones only has three. Jones is the GM. Kraft isn't involved. I mean, there's all sorts of differences that they can point to. And, you know, they're not going to be so petty as to articulate it. But that's what underpins the friction. Right. And what really underpinned this, this is all coming from and this went down five years ago when Jerry Jones was aggressively trying to keep Roger Goodell from getting a new contract and, and at some level trying to get rid of Goodell. This was Jones, Dan Snyder, and Papa John, if you remember that. Oh, I do. Who, who ended up getting himself 
kicked out of his own company that he started as a result of a chain of events that that I think began with him gratuitously pouncing on the NFL. But Jones is back at it again. It's time for a new contract for Roger Goodell, and the owners voted 31-1 to yesterday to authorize the compensation committee to negotiate a new deal. Jones was the lone dissenter, and the fact that no one else joined him pissed him off. This is my understanding. This isn't the ESPN reporting. This is what I've learned after the ESPN reporting. Jones got pissed that the cheese stood alone. So Kraft, who's the chair of the compensation committee, got the brunt of it. Other owners got some of it too, I'm told. John Mara, I think he's on the compensation committee. Jimmy Haslam of the Browns, I know he is. So Jones is just pissed off that this thing is going to happen again over his objection that we're just paying the guy too much. I mean, for a guy who's that rich, he is kind of cheap. He'll never fire a coach, for example, if there's time left on his deal. He doesn't want to owe him money to not coach the Cowboys. That's the one thing he has in common with Mike Brown. That's the only thing. But there is a, a, a cheap streak for Jerry Jones. He just thinks they're paying Roger Goodell more than they should. It is and that. He may be right. Yeah. He may be right, but he's the only one who's willing to take on that fight. Yeah. Is it that? Or does he want Does he want somebody new? I mean, and again, I don't know that. I'm just throwing that out there. Because there was always those thoughts out there, too, that he just kind of would like to fresh start, a fresh start with a new commissioner altogether. Or is it just strictly the compensation? I mean, I, again, I don't have any well, knowledge there, but I just I wonder. I think it can be tied together, Chris, because look at it this way. If you have someone who's been there for as long as Goodell has and he's used to making a certain amount of money, is he going to take a dramatic financial haircut and be happy in the job? Or is this just an occasion where we say we're going to reimagine this position altogether and we're just going to hire somebody and pay them $3 million a year, right? That, that issue first came up in 2014 during the Ray Rice fiasco when – People were openly talking about what does the commissioner really do? How hard is it to guide a boat through calm, open waters? Now, I think that really understates how difficult the job is. I would agree. But there was a sense that we're paying more than we need to from some. And Jones became the one who carried that that notion most aggressively in 2017. And he looks to be the only one who's willing to carry it. Now, I don't think he's going to die on that hill a second time. He ended up having to pay millions to the league in legal fees because he was threatening litigation. And under the NFL's constitution and bylaws, at the end of the day, they gave him the bill for all the legal fees they incurred as a result of his threat to sue his partners. So he's already been smacked down once for this. I don't know why he would try it again, but he's Jerry Jones. He can do whatever he wants, and if he feels like kicking up a mess now that he's an octogenarian, he turned 80 last week, what the hell? Hey, what does he care? He's got the money. If they stick him with another legal bill, he'll just pay it and keep going. Yeah, I, I know. I, you know I, just, I guess I'm, I, it's just a little shocking in the fact that, you know, again, is it, over, is it overcompensation? I mean, maybe. I mean, right? What, what's the reports out there that he's, he's made over the last two years? What was the number? Hundred and twenty-eight million, right? Over the last two years, I mean, that's, that's a report from the Washington Post, right? I mean, that's that's a crazy number. It, it is for sure. But he's also, you say what you want. I mean, he's definitely a, a huge part and responsible for incredible, incredible growth to the game. And I'm with you in the fact that you know I, it can't be easy dealing with. Everybody he's got to deal with. He's got to feel like an on-call doctor at all times. He's always got to put fires out. He's got to make sure this owner's happy and while I'm making this one happy, I don't piss this guy off. And, of course, the, the corporation and business relations there that he's got to deal with. So, man, I would, I would think it's a, an extremely tough job. I mean, no doubt about it. And I'm just, I guess I'm a little shocked that Jerry Jones just – hard line take on that a little bit just because of course you know like I'm saying Rod the NFL is so king of king of king sports right now even worldwide it just it's it's not even close it's not there's no league or anything that can even compare to what the NFL is raking in on a yearly basis and like him or not you got to give Roger Goodell some credit for that and where we are as a league right now 64 million a year though is an obscene amount of money. It's far more than any player 
makes, yeah. which has always been the easy comparison. He is paid more than the highest paid player and has been paid more than the highest paid player, and he's been in that job since 2000. And six. I don't think that's crazy, and though, like to think that the guy that's million. the boss of the league makes more than the highest played player in the league. I don't know. I mean, again, I, I don't know what other corporation that doesn't go down in. And, oh. you know, well, yeah. OK, go ahead. Sorry. And, and look, that, that's where this may be headed. Right. And this is something that's pointed out in my book, Playmakers, a copy of which is laying on the floor. Oh, in the yeah. Studio uh, nah, sitting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, at, at some point they may have to get away from the football industry lifer who just wins the competition over a period of three or four decades to ascend to the throne and go out and hire a CEO, hire somebody who, who is in that world, in that space. Hey, I worked at Pepsi. Then I worked at IBM. Then I worked here. That, that, that may be what they need with someone who knows the inner workings of the league serving as the number two. That may be where this is headed because there are some high-level challenges. There are some potential threats out there, and there needs to be a greater exercise of foresight. This is a common refrain of mine. The NFL is very reactive. It's not necessarily proactive. It's rarely proactive. And with some of these threats out there and the intersection of gambling and the sport, they may need they may need to go the CEO route when it's time to move on to the next commissioner. And one of the things that came up months ago, not that many – I'd say six, seven months ago, as part of his next contract, Roger Goodell is going to be expected to to embrace and groom his eventual replacement. Oh, right. I think like Paul Tagliabue did to him, right? One of the realities of the past 10 years in the NFL, anytime there's somebody at the league office who is emerging as a star and owners are starting to say, hey, 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 potential future commissioner, not long after that, they end up leaving. And I'm not I'm not saying it's anything other than coincidence. All I'm saying is it's like clockwork. Someone gets identified as viable potential future commissioner, and they ain't there much longer. Yeah, I hear you. So, you know, sometimes the key to staying on top of the mountain is to neutralize any and all threats before they become threats. But at some point, you have to accept the fact that you're not going to do it forever, and you need to leave the organization in a good spot. And so you you have someone that you welcome and you groom and they're ready and they take over. I think that's going to be part of what this next contract entails. But, yeah, Jerry Jones doesn't want it to be a gigantic pile of money. And, and I again, I, I don't know. Look, they're entitled to pay whatever they want to pay. The problem I have with it more than anything else, Chris, they're cheap about other things like officiating. But things that are far more important to the right. integrity of the game. Sure. And, like, during football season, we used to have – a VP of officiating who would be front and center for any and all controversies, and there'd be transparency when it was Mike Pereira or Dean Blandino. And then it became Al Riveron who was not suited for that function. And now they just don't even bother to try. We don't get media videos. There isn't an appearance on NFL Network once a week to just help people better understand this stuff. At a time when it's important that people understand it because the integrity of the game and the integrity of the wagering on the game is critical. So I I think that my biggest problem with Roger Goodell getting $68 is – if you can pay him that, you can pay the VP of officiating enough so Dean Blandino doesn't say, I'll go work for Fox and make more money. Or these referees who are very good at their jobs don't say, I'll go work at NBC. I'll go work at CBS. I'll go work here. I'll be the rules analyst at this network, make more money, and have a better life experience. At some point, you just got to pay. For the best of the best, you got to pay if you want them there making the calls and helping guide your officiating department instead of jumping to an easier job that pays more money. If it's an easier job that pays more money, that tells me you're not paying enough for your harder and more important job of ensuring that everything is done right. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with anything you said there. I'm, I'm, I'm with you all the way. It, it, it is kind of shocking that they're that way at times. And, you know, again, it goes file it under. So, yeah, there's just there's some things that you wonder why we don't spend the extra money just to be a little extra buttoned up in the NFL. Uh, I think we come to that almost once or twice a week sometimes where it's just the little subjects we find. So uh, it is crazy. Uh, all I can think of is, damn, if he made sixty four million over the last two years, how much did the damn owners make over the last two years? That's all I oh, kept well. thinking when I saw that number. <laughs> Plenty. And yeah. you know what? We don't know for sure what Roger Goodell makes. We used to, and this still bothers me. During the 
lockout of 2011, the NFLPA decided to make a political issue out of the NFL's tax-exempt status as a league office. And the reality was the league office was passing the revenue through to the teams, and the teams paid the taxes. And it wasn't a huge difference. There wasn't a huge financial benefit to the league for doing it. So once the union and others started trying to create the false impression that the league just doesn't pay taxes— that the teams don't pay taxes, that nobody's paying taxes. The NFL just said, screw it. We'll, we'll, we'll change our status as a tax-exempt trade organization. And as a result, we get no transparency as to what the commissioner or other key executives are making anymore. So thanks to everyone out there who allowed this new system to be put in place where we have no idea how much Roger Goodell – Jeff Pash, Brian Rolap, the other key executives are making. There's no transparency whatsoever. Um, so it's just a report that we rely on, and who knows whether it's true. Maybe he's making more than $64 million a year. We'll never know until they go back to being a tax-exempt status, and I don't think they ever will. Yeah, that stinks. I know. It does. It does. It's, uh, I wish we did know because those are juicy numbers that I'd love to know how much they're raking. We'll never, know. We'll never know what the owners are making. The only thing we're ever going to know is what it's the Green, Green Bay, Bay Packers, Packers are right, making. Right. That's it. Yep. That's it. But, you know, the, the, the profits don't get poured into anyone's pocket. There's no one there to say, hey, I'm going to take X million here or Y million here. I got a yacht that I'm building for crying out loud. I need about 250 million over the next few years. All right. So I, the fact that multiple owners have yachts that literally cost 250 million or more tells you that they are making plenty. Whatever the number is, it's a big one. All right. Let's take a break. After further review time for week six, when we take a look at calls that may have been good, may have not been good, maybe could be better, or whatever else hit our radar screen for week six, we'll do that when PFT Live presented by Google Pixel continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Well, we haven't had, we've had less calls than we've had in the past. Um, there have been, there's been no change to that rule. Um, you know, we obviously, as in any officiating, uh, officials make calls that we would rather not have be called, or we'd have calls that we prefer that they do make. But we make that clear to the officials and make it clear to our coaches. But uh, we're, we're not backing off of protecting players that are in a defenseless position or an exposed position uh, that could lead to injury. And we'll take those techniques out of the game. Roger Goodell talking about the roughing the passer calls. First observation, and we got a lot to get to here, but I just want to say this. Can we please stop with the roughing the passer calls are down? That is irrelevant to the point that we've all been making. I don't care how many roughing the passer calls there are. I care about the constant possibility yeah. that a roughing the passer call is going to affect the outcome of the game. And that's up. That cloud that's is up. hanging over the game. Right. It doesn't matter how many total roughing the passer calls. Well, there's fewer of them. As long as there's the constant presence that the outcome of a game is going to be determined by a referee who thinks he saw something and he's been told, when in doubt, whip it out. <laughs> <laughs> how do we say that how do we begin to say that with a straight face well we're going to continue but, to <laughs> but, but but that's the problem here yeah not that well there's all, it's down 41 percent that that's, that's corporate that, bullcrap it is mike that's the point though that is the problem because it, quarterbacks aren't getting hurt they're extremely protected and with the defense has adjusted it's adjusted. That's why it's down. I mean, we're seeing defenders like, oh, wait, I'm going to hit the quarterback. Let me put my two hands down and not land on them. Let me roll over and break my own shoulder so I don't hit the quarterback and land on them. I mean, that's – but we've gone beyond that now. We've gone beyond protection here. This is – we're going down a, a rabbit hole of, again, this is beyond protection. It, it's taking some of the, the, the natural bylaws of the game away. And to your point, it's being called in some of the biggest moments of games right now. 
that is that is helping teams win or lose a game. And that's where it's wrong. So yeah, I'm glad some of it's you know it's down to a degree. Sure. So what? It doesn't matter. It's still the the quarterbacks aren't getting hurt. They're extremely protected, and it seemed like we've gone another level up here as far as what we call or when we call it, and that's what drives us crazy right now. I got no problem with certain techniques being taken out of the game. That's something else Roger Goodell said. The problem is techniques that are perfectly fine yes, are being called, are being right. penalized right. because of when in doubt, whip it out. That's the problem. Yeah. So they are over-officiating in an effort to ensure that the quarterbacks are protected. And look, this all gets back to what Troy Vincent said on Sunday. 91 of the top 100 most watched shows on TV last year were NFL games, and that's because of the quality of the quarterbacks. So we need the quarterbacks to be healthy. So we are over-protecting the quarterbacks, even if it means penalizing players for doing things for which they shouldn't have been penalized. That's it. So the integrity of the game takes a backseat to the business interests of the league. But like, as long as they admit it and we all understand it, it doesn't make it better, but at least they admit that they are willing to undermine the integrity of the game in the name of enriching the folks who are buying the $250 million yacht. I, they're going too far, and I don't think it matters anymore. I think they're, that, that point is it, it just doesn't hold as much water. It doesn't. First off, we're seeing here, again, there's plenty of quarterbacks to go around. Call Geno Smith. Tell me how you feel about that. Call Cooper Rush. Tell me. How, there's, there's plenty. We all tuned in to watch the games. There is. There's plenty to go around. Like we said, there's not enough good offensive coordinators to go around. That's the big problem. That is the problem in football right now. We got plenty of quarterbacks that if you give them a creative offense and a little talent around them, that they can make things happen and we'll all tune in and go, man, this is good football. And, and, and regardless, like that's that 91 of the top hundred showed like that's some bullshit stats too. I'm sorry. Even if two of the quarterbacks were hurt, we all, it would still be 90 of the top hundred. I mean, okay. And we lost four of the best quarterbacks in league last year. It still would have been 90 of the top hundred, maybe not 91. Okay. Maybe one of those games gets, you know, outdone by somebody. But that's where it's, it's, those are like, it's just fluff. It's fluff. I, and I, I don't like it, as you can tell. Let's get to the plays for okay. this week after further review. Oh, no, Here's here an we example go. example of roughing the passer. Matt Ioannidis called for roughing on Matthew Stafford. In most weeks, I have viewed all of these very carefully and multiple times before the show. But I was busy today, so I'm reacting to this in real time. Yes, I will admit that I'm not as prepared as this I can is the be. this is there's the Brady helmet to helmet contact. No, there's not. Bit. There's not. He does not even touch it. Go back to that first angle. There's none. There's no contact. There's absolutely zero. This is like the Tom and Brady it's one. The ground. Well, and again, look. Here's here's what I have been saying. See, it never when hits. We, right, but when we assess these now that we know about the when in doubt wrinkle, why was it called? Because the referee is told. When in doubt, throw the flag. That's why. So is it, in hindsight, 100% roughing? No. But does it fall within the bubble of latitude that they give these guys? Yes, it does. Because we're just accepting. Chris, I am bracing myself. Every time I see a quarterback get hit now, I am bracing for the yellow flag. It's almost like when I was a kid and first watching football, anytime there'd be like a big play, a big return. We still do that. Big return. Is there a flag? that wipes out the whole thing, I kind of have that same impulse now. Anytime there's a hit on a quarterback, is there a flag that wipes out the play? Because we just never know when it's going to happen. Because things that look like that get flagged when they shouldn't because they're told to flag it. Plain and simple. It's it's just it's horrible. I mean, I, I don't think anybody would ever in the history of football would look at this and go, there's something wrong there. That's unnecessary. That's too rough. I mean, this, this is borderline patty cakes here. I mean, it really is. He does everything perfect. To your point, when you started the segment, everything is perfect. Didn't hit the head. Didn't land on him. Was being pushed by another human being. I mean, they're just, you know, they're letting NFL, they're letting the offensive linemen hold everywhere. They're letting illegal pick plays happen everywhere. They're letting RPO linemen be five yards down the field and we're throwing passes. It's just, it's, it's ridiculous. It's starting to not look like football to me. Martin, it makes you wonder how many other ways they are trying to goose offense. If offense leads to points and points leads to big audiences, and, you know, it's funny. They said yesterday they're not bothered by the fact that points are down sharply, 
baloney because when points are up, they send out press releases every yeah. Monday crowing yeah. about how points are up in comparison to past years. Washington and Chicago, this is from last Thursday night. Justin Fields, maybe he hasn't been around long enough to merit the protection that comes from the nothing the passer rules of when in doubt, whip it out. Here's Justin Fields not getting a roughing call. Uh-oh. When Again, this is, you know, he gets hit low and no that's doubt. shot out of a cannon. That's not blocked into him. No. He that's... gets hit low and he's injured. Let's let's take a look at this. Yeah. Uh, it's coming in, you know, it's at yeah, hey, it's a tough one. I got no problem the with knee, it. But the arm hits the knee. Yeah, I got no problem with this. Okay, call this. Sure. I, I this I can do. He gets pushed. I mean, like by two people in the back. All right. So I want to say, what do you want the guy to do? But okay, I can understand the penalty being called here, no matter what. And then you can classify this one under. Wait, big strong quarterback. We don't care. That's 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 what got called there. Oh, it's Justin no Fields. Call made. You there know, was no call. It's Josh him. Allen. It's Mahomes. It's 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 those guys. It's Lamar Jackson. They don't they don't call that. But yet, like you know, stationary in the pocket, frail quarterback, it gets called every time, and that 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 bothers me too. Be, oh, well, Fields is strong. He's built like a great guy. We don't care about his knee. Oh, okay. that's one of those hits too, where ACL just could have been exactly could have exactly. been gone. When flag comes up at the end of that play, though, it was something else. He did not get a roughing the passer call there, and he was bruised and battered. Oh my god! I got a he, ton of respect for Justin. Fields. He's got to watch he just it. Kept going. He's got to all watch night it. long. He's got to protect. And you're right. Himself. It's like Joe Burrow. It's like Joe Burrow in his rookie year, right. where we just felt like inevitably something was going to happen, and something eventually did. Same game, non-call for defensive pass interference. Derek Forrest. This was game on the line, third and goal. Late in the contest, Dante Pettis, back corner of the end zone. Now, Kirk Herbstreet said he just thought he saw a defensive player fighting for the ball. I see a defensive player hooking the arm of Dante Pettis. And I know it's been explained at some point that, well, you know, he's still got his arm up and had a chance to catch it. But, yeah, you got an easier chance to catch it if your arm isn't being ripped down. You can focus. You can get your eyes on the ball. You can get your hands where they need to be, and you can secure the ball if you're not fighting away a guy who's trying to pull your right arm down. Yeah. I don't know how that's not pass interference, Chris. Mike, I I hear you. I wish we could show or see a little bit more of the play here because just seeing it on film, too, because I did see watch this play the day after a little bit, Pettis gets to the top and initiates the contact. So that's where I would go. I have I, I have no problem being this call. He got up to the top and started to try to push, and it's just before this highlight starts, and got his hands on Forrest first to try to push off and get some separation. And then Fer- Forrest, who's and call also- both, call both. I, I got or, or just fouls. So do it again. Or okay. I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't. I'm not a mad at that. Uh, to me, I don't mind this not being called. I'm just saying to say that. To but me, look this- at the arm. Look at the arm. I get it. And that, how do you have the guy's arm hooked while he's trying to catch the pass and have that not be pass interference? Yeah, I, I, again, I, I feel like it was a little bit more of the incidental part too, because of where Pettis had already put his hands there. And now the guy's kind of stumbling and trying to get back into play there. You know, again, I, I don't have a problem with that. But I, I know I side with the defense a little bit more than, than most in those conversations. I was talking to Coach Dungey about that play uh, over the weekend. And, and he said, first quarter, that gets called. Yeah. That drive right. doesn't get called. That's just the way it is. And yeah. it shouldn't be that way. If it's pass interference in the first right. quarter, and I think he'd agree with that, it should be pass interference in the fourth quarter. Yep. Here is Buffalo, Kansas City. Chris Jones sacks Josh Allen. Oh, here we looks go. Looks like there was you tripping. Think? You think? It looks like there was tripping. Let's see. the that, uh, No call for tripping. Isn't that weird, though? It, With it, all this stuff that's going on to protect quarterbacks, we're not gonna they pro- must have just not seen it. Uh, oh, yeah, that's that's right. They didn't see it. Yeah, I mean, when in doubt, this is the time you freaking whip that's, it out. I mean, what yeah. are you doing? <laughs> Look at it. I love Josh Allen. I know. The keys. He knows what happened. And well, that's it. You know it when you see it. And that's it. You saw the leg go out. That's comical. And he got away with it. It's comical. He got away with it. It gets classified as the Justin Fields one. Well, he's big and strong. Who cares that that 150-pound left leg just kicked him in the leg? I mean, it, it makes no sense. It, it makes no sense. That's what bothers me. I just think me. he didn't see it. I think he didn't see it. I don't think – because tripping is tripping. It doesn't matter how big they are. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. I think that he just didn't see it. Then I don't know what the hell he's looking at. And, it's three and feet And this is where – look, I'm going to keep harping on Sky Judge. Sky Judge can help clean this stuff up. Ugh. It can help pick up a flag, and it can help throw a flag. 
because if the referee didn't see it, the member of the officiating crew who is watching what the rest of us see can say, hey, Charlie, drop a flag. He tripped him. I'm looking at it. That's what they need to do. They don't trust that. They don't trust that they'd be able to execute it. Isn't it sad that these ideas that would be perfect to improve the NFL's product and enhance officiating, they refuse to do it because they don't trust themselves to not screw it up. That's the best defense they can muster or the money. for not having replay review of roughing the passer. We, we screwed it up so badly with pass interference in 2019. We'll never do it again. That's how I avoided ever having to cut the grass as a kid. I screwed it up really badly the first time they told me to do it, so they never told me to do it again. So they're never going to be expected to do it again because – we can't trust them to not screw it up. It's kind of sad when you think about it, but that's where we are. Here's another one. Juju Smith-Schuster, same game. Called for taunting because he made a hand gesture at the Bills' sideline. There's Juju. There's the play. He gets up, and let's see what he did. He did He. He, he, he did nothing. He, he. Who knows what he did? He might have said peace, love, and happiness. I mean, Again, he did just, first down. He did a subtle little hey. It's first down. Yeah. Oh my gosh! There. Like it just it's it's too much influence in the game. Too much well, influence. Yeah. And here's the problem. I see taunting happen all the time now that doesn't get called. Where a guy stands over someone. The exact thing they have told us we don't want to see. Right. Where guy tackles the offensive player, stands over him. You know, thumps his chest and looks down. Not quite the, as you say, dangling the man jump, yeah. but the, the thing that they, yeah. they tell us time and again, we don't want, you can do it away from the player, you can bump your chest and you can celebrate and that's fine, but if you do it over the player, that's when it's taunting and we see it not called. That's what bothers me. I hate the rule, but I hate it even more if the rule isn't consistently applied. Yeah, I, 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 mean, I me too. I mean, again, I, I think if he's in the middle of the field, and there's just defenders there that it wouldn't get called. I mean, he I don't know what he did. He wiped his nose and pointed first down. That's what it looked like he did. One thing I can tell you is that not one person, play the replay again, on the Bills' sideline thought it was taunting or anything wrong. No one even gave a shit. I mean, nobody. So that, to me, says a lot, too. Nobody was, like, pointing, like, oh, he said this or did that. Nobody. Nobody cared. It's, it's over-officiating. It's over-officiating. I didn't come to the game or turn it on to watch Johnny Black and White Stripes influence who wins the freaking game. Get out of here. And, and, and the, the entire rule reflects a complete misunderstanding of what it means to play an emotional sport. You cannot flip it off. I'm getting to the point where I think normal humans can't be referees, that it has to be all ex-players. I, I almost am getting to that point. I don't, I don't know if they can really follow the game. I think it's too violent and too quick. They don't know what they're looking at. They're too influenced by 345 and worried. Hey, hey there's there's hey, part of me I, that's starting to think that it's too years. much. You got a bunch of middle-aged folks out there right. with no protection, no helmets, no pads, no anything, and it's all blur and flash and whiz by, and you're trying to figure out what happened. It's not the easiest thing to do, which is why I think they need – look, I've, I've gone – next level on this in the past and said how many do you really even need on the field like can't you officiate a game with people who are just watching the camera angles can't you do that can't you have dedicated camera angles so you don't have to put people out there among the gladiators i guarantee you if ever if somebody ever gets god forbid if somebody ever gets trampled and killed there'll be maybe two on the field not seven on the field that that's that's kind of how things work they'll react they'll overreact and they'll officiate it that way. All right, let's take a break. Oh, Power man, we got two more to get to. Damn it. Well, well, the Micah Parsons one, I'll just say this real quick. I think somebody said something to someone through the earpiece. You think that the it, Micah Parsons. that's what happened? Yeah. yeah. I, th- I think. Now, that was taunting, and it should have been called, but I think that nine-second delay was somebody somewhere said, hey, that's taunting, Phil. You need to throw the flag. Well, this is it came way too late. This is what you're talking about. This is out of the book. Like that, that I'm, I'm, I'm that's fine. It. I'm fine with that. That's that's not a good look. It's not what we're trying to teach young kids, high school kids, how to play football. So I, I'm fine with that call there. 
Yes. It's the fact that the replay was over and Chris Collinsworth was going, I'm surprised there's not a, fa- a penalty here. And Tariko goes, actually, they just threw one. It was more than nine seconds. That, that's where I just, yeah, it didn't look good on TV. Here's what they're trying to prevent. Because some people say, oh, they don't want there to be a rumble later in the game. What they're trying to prevent is Dallas Goddard at some point yeah. later in the game. Right. Away from the action. Cleaning his clock. Getting, getting his revenge. Right. Right. Exactly That's what they're right. trying to avoid. Right. With a clean legal hit, but they take away the incentive to do that if Goddard doesn't emerge from that interaction pissed off thinking, I'll get him later. Exactly They right. want to get away from that, I'll get him later That's right. mindset. Players will headhunt right. for that, and they're going to look for that opportunity to go, I'm going to get that mother effer back as soon as I can, and they'll look for it the whole game just to get that one shot to get the payback. All right, power rankings time, week seven. The top four unchanged. That's all I'm telling you for now from where you got to stick around. Boom. The library after this. Eat that. Unchanged. Mahomes takes. Has a pocket. Gets away to the right a little bit. He fires downfield. It is picked off. Picked off at the 20-yard line. Intercepted by the Bills. They are celebrating. They pick off Patrick Mahomes. Hand off Dalvin. Miami native with some room left side. There he goes. To the right. He gets to the 30. Dalvin 20. And it's loose. Touchdown. Welcome home, Dalvin Cook. Joe drops back to throw. His pass caught by Chase at the 50. Runs through an arm tackle. Nice. Down the sideline. Oh, He's going to take it to oh. the house. Jamar Chase. A 60-yard oh. touchdown. And the Bengals have the lead. Just some of the calls from the weekend that was our good friend Paul Allen with the He's Loose. Power rankings are loose, presented by Google Pixel. Man. The top four are unchanged, even though two of the teams lost. I, mean, I the love Chiefs it. Chiefs barely lost to the Bills. The Cowboys gave the Eagles more than it looked like they were going to give them based on the first half. And 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 who who are you going to put above the Cowboys? Uh, the Giants did. are are the Giants lost to the Cowboys. Yeah, I I hear you. And who cares? You believe the Cowboys are better than the Giants? So do I. And so does the rest of the world. So that's fine. You're right. I'm 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 proud of you, man. That you didn't like change the top four. I don't give a damn what their records are. That game against Philadelphia for the Dallas Cowboys the other night to me was like encouraging. I went, oh my gosh. I mean, down that way, a quarterback who throws an interception, misses a fourth and one throw and throws an interception on three straight drives, and you were there with a chance to win it in the fourth quarter? I mean, Dak Prescott back? I mean, good for you. Same for Kansas City. I mean, yeah, they got two losses. So what? They're definitely one of the three or four best teams in football. Period. They lost a game that they dominated to the Colts and lost a tough one to Arguably the best team in football. I mean, the Eagles and the Bills are the two best teams in football. That's a conversation. So, way to go, man. I, I, I'm, I think it's awesome that you kept it the same there. But you know what? Beyond the top four, I really don't know. It, it is. good, who's yeah. not good. And it is all over the place. sustain it? Right. Can the Jets sustain it? Can the Giants sustain it? Can the Vikings sustain it? They are... Seven, six, and five, respectively, or I may have met uh, maybe seven, five, and six, respectively. Regardless, those three teams in five through seven, I think they have flaws, and I think they're lucky to be where they are. And we talked about this yesterday. We we're going to have teams that started strong that are dog paddling in December and January, and then there's going to be teams that struggled that have figured things out right. that are coming on strong. Those are the teams that you'll want in January. You don't want some team that's fizzling out and barely hanging on. Can you imagine All right, if so- the Vikings end up the seven seed? Because they want five and one, and they finish nine and eight now. Because all you have to do is go four and seven over the final eleven to get to nine and eight. Yeah, you're the seven seed. Right. You go visit the two seed, and you get the crap kicked out of you because you're falling apart down the stretch. Yeah. That's that's what I hope doesn't happen. And and maybe they. Can, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if if these teams can sustain it, and if they're still standing and still good and competitive when January rolls around. Yeah, yeah hey, I'm, I'm, I have those questions. I mean, right off the bat, I mean, five, six, and seven, I think all merit those questions. Vikings, you know, Cowboys or Giants, Vikings, Jets. Uh, I hear you. It's it's it has the hey, a little luck, a little like 
hey, wait, they stole a game. Maybe they shouldn't have. And then favorable schedule matchups. I think you can kind of look at that for, for, you know, all three of those teams. So I'm not sure either. Like the Jets have some young talent. I'm not sure it gets sustained this year, but, man, the future looks good. The Giants just playing the right way. They're efficient. They take care of the ball. There's no negative plays, and they just wait for you to make a mistake, and they pounce. And the Vikings, I don't know, Mike, how would you explain it? You know, they're better offensively. They're better than I expected defensively. And, hey, got a chance to play against, you know, backup quarterbacks last week and had some favorable matchups themselves here early in this season. So uh, I'm with you there. At a certain point, you know, if you're finding a way to win games late, is it is it is it luck? Are you flipping a coin and it's coming up your way, or are you are you mustering something? And does it become a self fulfilling prophecy? And your opponents start to think, oh, here it comes. They're going to find a way to take this from us because that's kind of the identity of the Vikings: keeping it close and finding a way to break the other team's back in the fourth quarter in a variety of different ways, hanging on to win coming from behind, whatever the case, they've won four in a row, and that's hard to do in yeah. the NFL no matter who you are. So, but now, you're – Chris – Oh, I was going to say, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I go was going to say, so your, your, your gut, I mean, I think is like mine in that uh, we expect that those three teams for maybe reality to – you know, not to say they won't make the playoffs, but I think, you know, things will equal out here at some point to where they're not, you know, one of the best records in football. I think the Vikings could end up with 11 or 12 wins, but I think the reality is they're going to come across a really good team in the divisional round, and they're going to get stomped. Okay. That, All right. That's, so, that's kind of the way of the Vikings for the past 20 years. Right. I, well, it is. You're right about that. All right. So then what about, you know, who were the teams that you brought up that, you know, maybe maybe start off slow, right, or didn't get off to a good start that you think could be – rounding into form at the right time where you go, whoa, okay, this team's record might not be that great, but they're in the playoffs here late in the year or going to be in the, you know, in the playoff conversation late in the year. And if they get in or they're in, whoa, they're way better. Like the 49ers last year, right? What the 49ers end up nine and eight, right? But we all saw it coming. We were kind of like, Oh, if they get in, watch out, right? You know, who are any teams that like jump well, out to you there? The 49ers are one of those for sure. Who else do you, th- you put on that list, Mike? And it's it's premature, Chris, because injuries are going to be a factor. Yeah, both I know. Not I know. suffered by that team and suffered by other teams. Look at the Raiders. We've looked at their schedule. They had a very difficult first five games of the season. Uh-huh. They could get hot as the season continues to unfold and as they learn the Josh McDaniels offense and get more comfortable on defense and get more reps. But look from, from the Ravens at eight all the way down – to the Raiders. I don't know how I feel about the Cardinals, but any of those other teams could find the gas pedal eventually and mash on it. And that's great. It's great and it's not great because I do like there to be some great teams. I agree. It is a little too mushed together right now. This is Pete Rozelle's vision for pro football come to full fruition where there's a lot of teams that are alive, but there's also a lot of teams that aren't very good. Yeah. And hopefully some of these teams will get good after Thanksgiving, if not sooner. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you there. And, 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 you know, you said it right. I think out of those teams, like you said, from the Ravens all the way down to the Raiders, uh, a lot of them have a chance. I don't look at the Cardinals as being one of them, to your point. I don't look at the Steelers as being one of them. The rest of the crew, I go watch out. And I think specifically, you know, I look at like 12, 13, and and 16. I go, man, the Bengals, of course, I'm going to put them on that list to say, watch out, they could turn it around. The Patriots, I mean, we're we're starting to see the Patriots. It's it's typical way we felt our way in September, and here we go now. And the 49ers, I mean, the 49ers, what was it? How many players were hurt in the game the other day? It was, what, nine out of the 11 defensive starters weren't playing in the football game? Kind of insane. Uh, so I, I think you're right, though. They're, th- those are teams, at least on my radar, to go. They could round into form and be a real force maybe as the season goes on. And with 11 games to go for most teams, everything is wide open. Let's take a break. I had a conversation yesterday with NFLPA Executive Director DeMora Smith, and a couple of things stood out. We'll tell you what he said that you should be paying attention to when PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. 
This issue of fully guaranteed contracts, the Deshaun Watson situation sparked. We surprisingly had on the record comments from owners like Ravens owner Steve Bishotti, who clearly doesn't want to give his quarterback a fully guaranteed contract. When you hear that stuff and it confirms your belief that there is some level of collusion because there's nothing that prevents any team or every team from doing fully guaranteed contracts. Is there something that effectively can be done to push back against this perception slash reality that they are colluding? Well, you know, sometimes Mike, and, and again, you know this as a as a fellow lawyer, sometimes your uh, <clears throat> your best evidence comes from uh, people who make um, comments that look like they're careless, but actually might be rooted in something factual. Uh, I'm being a little bit cagey, uh, but. Um, anytime we see what's been occurring in the market and we hear comments that validate those concerns, as you know from the past, we've, we've never shied away from exercising uh, both our legal rights and our collective bargaining rights to protect our players. Um, and, and people shouldn't be surprised um, if something happens in the near future. Boom. Demora Smith, NFLPA executive director, basically saying, or at least strongly hinting, that a collusion claim of some sort is coming because of this dynamic that Deshaun Watson gets a five-year fully guaranteed contract, and you have comments on the record from guys like Steve Bishotti. It changes everything. It complicates these deals. Other owners refuse to do it. And it all came up. I wasn't even planning to ask him about that, Chris. It all came up because... I asked him how much his ears burn on a day like that when the owners are meeting. And he said, we call those the collusion meetings. Because, <laughs> I mean, think about it. There are 32 different businesses. They get together, and there are certain things that the league office tells them or at least strongly suggests that they do. So they agree to do things to exercise their own individual discretion in a way that they don't have to, but they all collectively choose to. That's what collusion is. Yeah. I, again, I, I like – Shocker. I mean, I, I mean, of course there's collusion going on in the NFL. It's been going on for a long time. It's just a matter of time before De- Demora Smith is right, though, to where somebody exposes it a little, says the wrong thing, you know, and, and I think we've, we've had a few people dance that, that fine line there. But l- l- here's two things, without a doubt, that just we know there's collusion. The coaches' contracts – it's always been kept quiet because nobody wants to, oh, wait, I signed this guy to this much money, and now the market's there. They always keep that. There's tons of coaches throughout the history of football who've been paid by the owner's you know, other business because they didn't want to upset the owners because, hey, I'm paying this guy $10 million a year now when everybody's kind of making five or six. So they give them money through one of their other companies. That's been going on. And I know we've discussed this before. But still the most shockingly unbelievable, kind of just got swept under the rug collusion ever, ever, is the, again, the uncapped salary year of 2011, was that? I mean, the unca- uh, 2010, the uncapped salary year. You're going to, they sold it to the players. You'll be able to, we're, we're going to have no limit. We're going to just spend money. Yeah, the players can get whatever they want that year. Oh, except in that collusion meeting they said wait everybody let's not go above this number and then what happened dan snyder and jerry jones went above that mo- uh, number because they went we'd like to win and it's an uncapped year so screw what all you other 30 said and it was an uncapped year and they penalized those two teams in an uncapped year for spending money in an uncapped year and and of course took money away from Washington Dallas in future years. So that, that to me is the biggest smoking gun ever in the NFL history right there. That resulted in a collusion case that ultimately went nowhere. One of the problems is the NFLPA agreed to that as part of a quid pro quo when they set the salary cap. So it made it hard after the fact for the NFLPA to claim collusion when they agreed to the the salary cap penalties that were imposed on Dallas and Washington. This time around though, here it is. It's out in the open. And we, we know that there are teams that just refuse to take advantage of the opportunity to have fully guaranteed veteran contracts. There are 20. Well, they've all actually now done the entire first round 
four-year guaranteed contracts. It went from the top 20 in 2011 to all 32 get fully guaranteed contracts for the first four years. But veteran deals very rarely are fully guaranteed. And if they are, they're short. This is five years fully guaranteed. It's unprecedented. And, Chris, if there is a collusion case to be made, when when Sean Gilbert – the former NFL player who was running for the executive director position six, seven years ago right. put together his platform. One of his one of his missions was to go after the NFL for collusion as it relates to the funding rule. I don't want to get into the details of it because it'll put everyone to sleep, including me, but the funding rule in and of itself, which is part of the the pushback against fully guaranteed contracts, that's collusive. The existence of it is collusion. And the end result for a collusion case potentially is cancellation of the remainder of the CBA, which would be something if they put together a collusion case that wipes out the balance of the CBA. Uh, as as the NFLPA is in the process of hiring a new executive director, there's more money than ever before. The idea that the NFL would be forced to go back and renegotiate an entirely new CBA because the last one got blown up, that would be something. And I'm not saying it's going to end up there, but it was clear from my conversation yesterday, and you can see the full thing on the NFL on NBC YouTube page, my conversation with DeMora Smith made it clear to me they're thinking about doing something over this issue of fully guaranteed contracts, and a collusion case is exactly what they would do. Here is something more recent, and... We know that there's some lingering disagreement between the league and the union on whether and to what extent the concussion protocol was properly followed as to Tua Tonga-Vailoa when he was hit by Bills linebacker Matt Milano, head hit the ground, showed signs of gross motor instability, where the protocols followed. Something else, though, Chris, that is lingering. And I've said before, the UNCs, unaffiliated neurotrauma consultants, are the next battleground. Here's something D. Smith had to say yesterday about the control the NFL has been trying to exert over the UNCs, who technically work for both the league and the union, but there's kind of a vibe that maybe the league thinks they control the UNCs. Have a listen. Through the course of us handling the the unc, uh, I'm sorry, the situation that unfortunately happened to to to, to the player and, and the aftermath. <clears throat> I think that when the league um, or their medical director makes a unilateral decision to meet with the UNC separately from um, from the union, um, that's a that's not only a problem; that's a breach of ethics. And thankfully, um, uh, Roger shut that down, and that meeting didn't occur. Um, am I a little con- concerned that the 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 league's medical director, for some reason? thought that he could meet with the Yunks on his own without the union? Yes. You know, perhaps it was a lapse in judgment. And my hope is that um, Allen's lapse in judgment is his last lapse in judgment. So there's a subtlety there to what DeMora Smith is saying. I'll be less subtle. He's saying that Alan Sills, the NFL's chief medical officer, tried to meet directly and exclusively with the unaffiliated neurotrauma consultants without the union being involved, which is just stunning. Stunning. Because the UNCs work for the league and the union. And the closest thing the player has to an advocate in the room is the UNC. Because the team doctor is there, the player's there, and the player wants to play. The UNC has to be the adult in the room. And if the NFL is trying to exert control over these folks and To Roger Goodell's credit, and this is based on what DeMora Smith said, Goodell blocked that from happening. I think he recognized this is wrong. They really need to figure out how they're going to handle these folks going forward because the UNCs, I think, Chris, are the most important figures in this entire concussion protocol application. Yeah, I mean, they they definitely are. You said it, the adult in the room, whatever. They got to be the guy that, yeah, there's no bias. There's no, wait, just doing what's medically right for the person. Not player, not be influenced by, yeah, he wants to play or team. Hey, push him out there. He's okay. We need him today on this one. Yeah, very important spot. And, again, I, 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 you know, I don't know. I don't want to accuse Dr. Allen Seals of, of anything bad because I, I think his heart's always in the right place. I do. I mean, just being around him as much as we've been around him, you know, just in, in league functions and even before that, I do think he cares about, 
players in the league and safety and all of that. It's just not a good look to just go, you know, rogue on your own and have that meeting there. It does. It makes it look like they're, you know, trying to persuade or, or sway things their way. And I think that's where, you know, it's bad and, and good thing Roger Goodell stepped in on that one. The UNCs are critical because, again, they want the players to be traded as patients, not check, not like, like a pre-flight checklist that they do. Check, 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 check. Okay, good to go. Plane's good to fly. Truck's good to roll. Player's good to go back. It needs to be broader, and sometimes you need to take a step back and not just check boxes and say, what's the best for this human being, this patient, not this player? Let's take a break. One of the other things Roger Goodell addressed yesterday is the status of Deshaun Watson in his compliance with the terms of his suspension. We'll tell you what Goodell had to say when PFT Live, uh, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. Sean Watson's suspension will end in about five weeks. Um, I don't believe we've spoken to you since the settlement. Um, are you satisfied that he is meeting the terms at this point, um, the conditions that were laid out for him? And what is your response to another lawsuit um, that was recently filed against him? Uh, the answer to your first question is yes. Um, he's followed um, uh, all of the terms of uh, the agreement. Uh, as far as any additional, we obviously will follow all of those. If there's new information, we will take that into consideration. Uh, but we'll see as the time goes on. Good news for Deshaun Watson. He's complying with the various terms and conditions of his suspension, treatment, evaluation. I remember having a concern early on when the deal was announced, and he almost immediately said, I stand on my innocence, that if he doesn't, get the message about what he did wrong, what behaviors need to change, what the merit was in the claims being made against him, where the problems arose. He's not going to get reinstated, but it sounds, Chris, based upon what Roger Goodell had to say yesterday, he's figured it out, he's complied, and he's doing everything that he has to do to change, to improve, and to ensure that similar issues won't arise in the future. Yeah, it's good to hear. I mean, it is, and and hopefully he's in the the process of getting his life in order and realizing what he did wrong and all that. And uh, yeah, we'll see where it goes. I'm happy to hear that. I certainly am. And you know, the Cleveland situation's interesting altogether. I mean, when you just put it into football terms too, Cleveland's a team that's sitting there at what two and four. Really should not be two and four. Crucial mistakes and big moments, bad managing of the football game. I mean, they were, we were sitting here, I mean, a few weeks ago going, man, Cleveland looks kind of good. They could, it could be a, a question here when Deshaun Watson gets back. Will they, will they definitely just hand the job over to him? But now with the way it looks and the current state of the football team and where their schedule's going, you know, they should be one of those teams like you talked about with the Giants, the Jets, the Vikings, that put some wins in the bank early on and – you know, they could deal with some of the tough parts of the year. Now they're in danger of like, oh, crap, the year could fall apart. Ravens, Bengals, Dolphins, Bills, Bucks, you know, Texans, Bengals, Ravens, Saints. Oh, that's, their next, that's their next slot of games. Like, wow, that's a tough schedule. I don't know what they're going to look like when it's all said and done. But if they can hang around the fringes of, of the conversation yeah. until week 13, yep. when Deshaun comes back for the final six games, they fit the profile of a team that could make a push late – you look at the, those yeah. final six yeah. games, they could make a push late to get to the postseason, and Deshaun Watson will have had six games under his belt by then. Who knows what happens if and when that occurs. But week 13 at the Texans is when he's due to come back, and uh, the Browns just trying to hold it together and win as many games as they can. It was after that Steelers game where we thought they're, they're moving in the right direction. And that's when we started having the conversation, gee, could they, they possibly decide to stick with Jacoby Brissett, how many wins would it take yeah. to stick with Jacoby right. Brissett? Right. And uh, obviously, two out of six, not nearly enough for that conversation. But it looks like he'll be back week 13. And, uh, and as to the lawsuit that was filed last Thursday, which alleges the same kind of conduct that was the subject of the other claims, it was something that happened well before August of 2022. And the argument will be, from Watson's camp in the NFLPA that anything that happened before August of 2022 cannot be the subject of further discipline. It would have to be completely different misconduct or similar misconduct happening since the signing of that settlement agreement. That's the only way the NFL can take further action against Deshaun Watson. Any 
massage therapy misconduct pre-August 2022, no matter how many lawsuits are filed, that's already been the subject of punishment. He cannot be punished again. Let's take a break. We'll wrap up this Wednesday edition of PFT Live presented by Google Pixel right after this. Congrats to Josh Allen. Not only is he the PFT Offensive Player of the Week, he's the NFL's AFC Offensive Player of the Week for the second straight week. The first Bills player ever to win that award back-to-back weeks. And when you think of the days of Jim Kelly and Thurman Thomas and Andre Reid, pretty impressive. It it is. None of them did it, and Josh Allen has. Yeah, it's impressive, and and then again, Mike, I don't know. I mean, it's it's he's in the leader house for sure right now, as far as MVP of football, right? I I mean, there's no question in my mind that right now he is the best player in the league, and I I know Mahomes is still there, but I I I think it's clear that you give Josh Allen the the edge right now. A player of the week award could be coming for Dak Prescott sooner than later. Jerry Jones said Tuesday he expects. Prescott to play this week I thought they would just let it ride to the bye week but you know what I guess there's some wisdom in letting him break back in against the Lions and the Bears before they have a week off and then go to Lambeau Field and then Minnesota after that and then Giants showdown yeah Thanksgiving isn't it amazing to think how we are creeping toward we're getting there the Thanksgiving slate of games I know this I, I don't want by. to sound like everybody else that says it's flying by, but man, it's flying by. It is. I mean, especially, I mean, we're engrossed in it or so. It's just, it's, it's like, you know, I mean, it just, it is the weeks go by. You're just like, Holy cow. But I, I get, you know, I think it's smart. Get them playing, get them going for, you know, the tough part of the schedule. So he's hitting on all cylinders and Hey, let's be real. Mike, he watched film this week and he went, Holy shit. Detroit's defense sucks. I'd like to play this week. This will be a good scrimmage for me to get back in there and get in some rhythm. <laughs> We're done for today. We'll be back tomorrow. Chris is going to go hang out with some octogenarians, maybe some septuagenarians. <laughs> AKA old people. See you Thursday. <laughs> The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.